welcome to another episode of the Awake Asia podcast, where each episode I chat with thought leaders and everyday people doing extraordinary things to help inspire you to live a fitter, healthier, more purpose-driven, conscious lifestyle. In this week's episode, I have Terry Mosey. Terry is an international speaker, health and wellness consultant, and author of The Hidden Messages in Food. For 25 years, she has been working in various arenas of the health and wellness industry. Terry's background includes biochemistry laboratory research and immunological and neurological diseases, holistic nutrition consulting and education, and speaking engagements for allied health professionals and community members around the world. I met Terry a few years ago at the Asia Fitness Conference in Bangkok, Thailand. I was so blown away with her depth of knowledge in epigenetics and holistic health that I got her to be a guest of the 2018 PlanFit Summit. And now, this podcast as well. Terry comes from a classical physics and science background. I absolutely love how she blends ancient teachings of traditional Chinese medicine, India's chakra system to our most current understandings of mind-body physiology, neurobiology, and quantum physics. In this session, we do a big picture overview of mind-body physiology. We learn how food and emotions affect the way we digest and assimilate nutrients. We explore the latest in consciousness research, what it is, and how it ultimately affects our health and well-being. We also discover what the chakra system is and how the energy centers of our body affect the way we think, feel, and live. Lots to learn from this episode. On to the interview. Welcome to the podcast. It's always an honor having you on and Every time I attend your presentations, whether it's in AFC Asia Fitness Conference or even the last summit, I learned so much from you. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, there's just so many angles that we can take with you because you're just so well-versed in nutrition, in epigenetics, in emotion, in physicality as well. It's incredible. So based on our last conversation at the summit, what have you been up to? What, what new research are you up to these days? Yeah, so since the last time uh, we did the summit last year, I, what I've been doing is uh, diving a little bit more into mind-body physiology, looking at consciousness research that's out. So ultimately looking at how the mind actually impacts our health and how it impacts our physical health and how we create our life experiences. What I'm learning is more about that holistic network of how the being really operates. And so I've been really diving into that and it's fascinating to find all the different connections, especially with so much growing scientific disciplines that are coming out. So we're just learning more. There's more different types of research from different perspectives. So it's really giving us a bigger picture of health and and how to help people. I love it, love it. So you said consciousness research. I find that really fascinating because from my, my perspective of consciousness, is it's almost esoteric. And to pull that science aspect into it, could you explain what consciousness research is and how it impacts our health, our wellness, and the way we feel. Sure, um, you know, constant consciousness research is definitely kind of this elusive thing that we're doing, and it's hard to just put in a definition, like get the Webster Dictionary to say this is what consciousness is. But to me, and what my understanding is with the scientists that I've been following, is that it's an awareness 
that also includes our mind. So there's this all-encompassing awareness that we have that makes us conscious and really alert and present in our lives. And then it's also partly our mind, our mind of being able to make cognitive functions as well as our subconscious mind, which is kind of our default programming that allows us to kind of do things behind the scenes. So I like to think of it as awareness plus our mind. And when we talk about consciousness, it impacts our health. It impacts our life experiences because everything that we do originates from this space. So consciousness leads our lives and our biology actually follows it. So even though we spend a lot of time on our physicality, on our biology and how the physiology systems work in the body, all of that is happening because of the energy, because of the consciousness behind it. So if we can take ourselves all the way back to the root, that's where true healing is. And that's what I've been exploring, true long-term healing. So in terms of true long-term healing, I mean, let's backtrack a little bit. For those that haven't watched the Plant Fit Summit sure. interview that we had last year, um, how did this whole journey begin for you? Yeah, you know, I've always been in the health and wellness industry. So this has always been an interest of me just to understand health and to, and to do different lifestyle factors and stuff. But it really wasn't until I actually got sick myself. It was probably... I would say about 15 years now that I ended up in the hospital, um, shortness of breath. I was having anxiety issues. I had chronic fatigue, some hormone imbalances, just lots of stuff happening for me. And my body was basically just like, you need to do something different, right? And when I went, I had so many tests. I mean, they were lighting me up, every test you can think of, but they couldn't come up with a diagnosis. And then that's when I was suggested by others that I knew to go check out some Eastern medicine, check out some energy work, see if that can help you. So it just opened me up to Eastern teachings and coming from such a very classical physics science background, I was like, what are you people talking about? What do you mean? I have this energy. Why are you calling it chi? You know, and, but I did, and I went to see an acupuncturist and I went to see a Chinese medicine doctor and I started to learn things from them and I even learn things about my food. And I thought I was eating well. I mean, I was also teaching nutrition studies. So I'm like, I think I, I kind of have an idea. And they kind of kind of giggled at me and said, well, there's so much more to food than calories and protein and carbohydrates, the world that you live in in nutrition. So they started teaching me some stuff and I started to heal. And I said, wow, this is incredible. So that's when I ended up going back to school for my doctorate in holistic nutrition to really dive in and get that understanding. Um, and then I also went back to a health supportive culinary school so I can be able to share how to actually do it, the practical aspects, but also understanding the science that's truly behind it. So it was me having just general interests in health and then me getting sick that just helped me really tune in and expand what I thought was true. I did tap into some Ayurveda as well. Um, I just seemed to resonate a little bit with some Chinese medicine stuff when it came to food, but I also love the Indian chakra system. So I was able to find a way to cohesively marry all of them together. So in terms of Ayurveda versus TCM, are there any, what kind of crossovers are there in terms of nutrition? 
Um, my cro the crossovers is, is that they look at food and they look at your health as, as if you're an energetic being and that your mind and body are one, which is now we now know in our Western science. Um, they have us both connected to nature, right? So they both see us as a miniature universe. Everything that's happening outside of us is happening inside of us. So they have this harmony in nature. The whole body is connected, holistic network um, um, approach that makes them run very parallel to one another. And so in terms of the Western kind of mindset, do you find that currently there's a little bit of disconnect to the holistic nature, connecting to nature, connecting to the energy of foods? I think that I don't even know if I would say the word disconnect or the just the lack of awareness. Because it was even me. I was diving into nutrition for so long. I just didn't even know because it's just not taught. We don't have access to it. You have to really dive in a little bit. Um, thankfully, I would say over the last 10 years, holistic and energetic um, approaches have been growing in the Western world. So it is becoming a little bit more talked about and explored. I read your book, which is a brilliant read, by the way. I'll share your book in the show notes. So why is a calorie not just a calorie? Because in, in a Western kind of perspective of nutrition, we look at macros and micros. Why is a calorie not a calorie? Yeah, you know, it's, well, I mean, 100 calories is 100 calories, but 100 calories of, say, broccoli to 100 calories of ice cream is just going to be digested and assimilated differently in the body. So it's just that when we talk about calories or we talk about protein or carbohydrates or how much vitamin C that is, we're talking about a very small aspect of what food really is. So we're zooming in and it's just being taken out of context to how the body actually digests food and how it's used. Because food, we we're really finding out is that whole food comes with all the ingredients that you need. It also comes with an energetic nature. It also comes with a thermal nature. It comes with particular flavors that actually heal specific organs. It has other characteristics to it that when you start to pull those in, then it makes it easier for you to find out what is the best nutrition for you. We can't just go, ooh, don't eat carbohydrates, they're bad for you. Ooh, eat more protein, because it's just out of context to an entire diet and what really happens when someone eats. I found what you said very interesting about the energetic nature of foods because I remember back in the day when I used to look at Carolian photography and it actually showed the uh, energy emission from certain foods like meat versus broccoli versus a fruit. So is that what you define as the energy of foods or it's beyond that? It goes even deeper than that, but that is definitely one of the things to look at is that that's a great representation is that each, everything does like you and I have an energetic vibration and an energetic field, even the foods that we eat do. And so, and all of that interacts together. And that's where we either get health or disease is by our interactions of our energetic frequencies. Let's take, take animal based products, for example, when we eat meat, is that energy that the animal experiences before slaughter translated into the meat that we eat? And how does that actually affect us? Yes, yes, yes. So here's the thing is, so animal-based foods, just because an animal is also very instinctual and survival-based, has a slower vibrational energy than, say, some vegetables and stuff like that has a higher vibration. So they also just, first of all, just impact the body differently. And then the life of that animal, how they were treated, how they were fed, um, whether they were scared as they went to the slaughterhouse, as if it was done humanely, to whether they were pumped with hormones and, 
and all different types of antibiotics. And, and even the animal's fear is inside that piece of, say, chicken breast that you choose to eat. Um, so we are learning that that's the same thing even with plant-based foods. So like how things are grown, how they're prepared to the um, enthusiasm or love that a cook puts in the food is inside your food. I love that. And I remember you sharing, I think it was one presentation in AFC where you say you'd rather see two people that are fully connected eating an unhealthy meal versus two people who are disconnected from each other eating um, a very healthy meal. Right. And, and the reason for that is that, you know, the state that you eat in makes a big difference as to what you can digest and assimilate. So if you are in a very unhappy place and you have some emotions that um, are just on the more fearful side, the more negative side, if you want to say, what they do is they release a different part of our nervous system and it releases what's called our sympathetic nervous system, then that actually shuts down our digestion because we go into fight or flight mode. So it makes it very difficult to even abstract any type of nutrients from our food. It also releases emotions that impact our digestive system and how our body even responds. So yes, I would rather you eat in love and think how we think of that food makes a big difference as to whether it's going to be nourishment for you. Because food is not just nutrition. Food is a nourishment for all of you, body, mind, and soul. And if you're willing to go that little step deeper, you realize everything about food, from how it was grown to how it was prepared to how it was eaten to who's eating it, needs to be brought into the conversation. Focusing on that, is there a such thing as a good versus a bad food or it's your connection or interpretation of it? Yeah, you know, so first of all, making things good or bad foods is also just giving food some type of like moral distinction, right? So you know what happens when somebody eats like a bad food or what they consider a bad food? Then it becomes like, who am I that I just ate this bad food? And what happens? It kind of chips away at your worthiness. You start eating more in guilt. You eat more in shame. You shift your emotions. You almost start like punishing yourself because you ate that bad food. So that already is going to be a concern because our relationship with food is what determines the health and what food, what we can get and abstract out of that food. So if you were to sit here and say like your favorite food, like you love ice cream, maybe that's like your company, you love it and you really don't believe and have these belief systems in the back of your mind that, oh my God, this is going to make me fat. I'm going to get, you know, heart disease, but you just love it and you eat it in joy. You will literally be able to fire your nervous system or your parasympathetic nervous system, you'll relax, your digestive system will turn on effectively, and you'll actually release and pull some nutrients from that ice cream. Now, I'm not telling everyone to go eat ice cream, but I'm saying recognize the state that you eat in is a very large determining factor as to what that food is going to be for you. And that goes all the way back to your beliefs. Speaking of beliefs, um, I read the book, The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton many years ago. Oh, yes. A very, very fascinating read. He's an expert on epigenetics. So in terms of um, epigenetics, what's the study of epigenetics and um, how does that affect the way we look, feel, eat? Yeah. Oh, another favorite uh, topic of mine. So epigenetics is the study of gene expression. So it has nothing to do with changing the DNA sequence of our genes. That's something that we just have, right? But now as we go through our lives out from our thoughts to how we eat, how we exercise, how we sleep, 
how we manage our stress, all of those type of aspects are triggers that either turn our genes on or off. So our genes don't just stay a certain way and then just go, okay, I ate really well. So now like my genes just stayed away. They're constantly changing depending on what we put them in, what environment we put them in. So it's internally as in thoughts and emotions, as well as how we eat, exercise, sleep, and manage our stress. All these things turn genes on all the time and they turn them off too. So you can learn how to eat, learn how to you know, improve your sleep and improve your movement exercise so that you can shut down those genes that may express cancer or heart disease and then turn on the genes that are protective and immune boosting. And isn't that incredible that we could do that? Surely is. I mean, it, it just gives us the power and gives us the confidence that we are in charge of our own life. Exactly. Because, you know, we, you know, we're in a lot more control of our health and our lives and what experiences we have than we realize or that we even wish to admit. Because what we are showing now is that research is showing that 90 to 95 percent of illnesses that we have are related to genetic expression. So that's how we live our lifestyle. There are certainly some single gene disorders like sickle cell anemia or cystic fibrosis that people are born with, which is, which is considered genetic, but 90 to 95% are genetic expression. And that's our choices. Let's zero down on genetic expression. So what factors affect our genes? Sure. So first is our thoughts or our belief systems, because any thought that we have creates chemicals inside the brain that then go down to our body so we can feel what we're thinking. So our thoughts immediately change our physicality. So our thoughts do the type of emotions that we carry every day. So everyone has kind of like a state of being, right? So it's those constant thoughts or emotions. So you know, that person who just has a angry temperament, you, you know, that, um, that friend who has just is always friendly and just playful. So we have an emotion that we really carry as our dominant emotion. And that impacts our genes. Um, also our diet, what foods we choose impact, what genes turn on and off the way we exercise turns genes on and off. Um, how we allow ourselves time to rest and sleep. Naps are really healthy for our genes. We're designed, we need to slow down as just a society in general. We're always on the go, but that rest and that sleep and those naps is where we repair. It's where we renew ourselves. It's where our genetic expression supports health. Um, and of course it comes down to also just stress management because most illnesses are really go back to the mind, back to consciousness and, and falling down that stress axis. Okay. So stress axis, maybe you could expand on what the stress axis is. Sure. So the stress axis, which is called the HPA stress axis. So what it is, it's just combining a few different glands, hypothalamus, pituitary glands, and the adrenal glands. And these are different master glands in the body that help secrete different hormones and help the body communicate what needs to be done. And what happens is we run this stress axis when we're scared or when we're in a fight or flight space or when our adrenaline's pumping. But the thing is, it can be a perceived stress. So we can just be like creating stories in our head about like worrying about something that's going to happen. Or it can be about us, you know, being attacked, running down the street. So it can be a physical, real, true uh, response, like an animalistic response. But it's also because our minds create stories 
that then create that same stress pathway. And over and over when we do that, it changes hormone secretions and it produces inflammation inside the body. And that's the origin of what we experience physically. How does consciousness relate to this? Well, because your mind is part of your consciousness. So consciousness is bigger because it's also just living a life where I like to say conscious living or living a life where you're aware. Do you know how many people just go through their days on autopilot, right? So you get home from work and you're like, hey honey, how was your day? And you're just like, let me think about that. Or you got in the car to drive someplace and you don't even remember driving there because you were in conversations with yourself the whole time because we're not living consciously or aware. And that's part of the consciousness is living a little bit more in the present. So being exactly where you are. So right now you and I are having this great conversation. We're right here having this conversation. But if I was talking to you, but still in the back of my head going, mm, I can really go for a taco. Oh, that reminds me, I have to call Sally tomorrow. If I'm not really here, then I'm not really living very aware. And that's going to be an issue with my health because health only happens in the present moment. So if you're in a past story or in a future worry, your body can't heal. And so with that being present in mind, how can people start learning to be more present? I mean, this meditation and this breath work, but what do you advise your clients? Because it's easy to, it's, it's almost a concept that I know I need to be present. I know I need to meditate, but your mind yeah. is going a million miles an hour. Uh, it's almost uh, uh, quite a feat to say to be present. It is. It's incredibly challenging. And I know I'm saying it very casually, but I, I do recommend and, uh, that you start off small. And it is incredibly intimidating at first. But I promise if you consistently show up to different practices each day, it does get easier. Um, a daily meditation practice is important, but what's most important is doing it when you first wake up. And this is what I would say to people, you know, cause we wake up and what do we do? We roll over and we feel for our iPhone or, you know, and then, and we're already checking messages and we're already like 10 miles as to what we need to do. But when we're first waking up, our brain waves are a little lower. So we're a little bit more able to get into that subconscious programming and to heal. So if you wake up, do some breath work, do a small meditation, maybe start with five minutes and then get out of your bed in a little bit more of a calm state instead of like on the go, on the go, on the go. That will already start to help you. But it's about consistently showing up. So even if it's five minutes in the beginning and then you can slowly just keep adding a minute on, adding a minute on, but it's just showing up to the process and giving yourself that time to pause, to slow down. That's how we get present is slowing down. Um, another thing that I recommend is just doing small mindful activities. And this is something anyone can do. Pick everyday activities that you have to do, right? Like you brush your teeth every day, brush your teeth with 100% of your attention. So you're not thinking anything. You are like, you can feel the bristles against your teeth. You taste the actual toothpaste. Like you're in the zone, right? You're not talking to anyone. You're not listening to the music. You don't have the TV on. There's no news on nothing. It's just you and the brushing of the teeth. And if you can do that, you're getting little small snippets of being present. And that's helping to rewire your brain and calm your fear centers. So pick a few a day. You know, everyone's got a shower. So towel dry yourself off really methodically, like in the zone, you know, 
get dressed like in the zone. No one else. Like you're just you. And those little moments are great little resets. I really love that, Terry. I think I think that's such a great exercise because I remember one day when I was commuting to commuting to work. You know, normally we go for the normal commute and we're listening to a podcast, shuffling through traffic, shuffling through um, bodies in the train. And I remember doing that one day in the train and I, I took off my headphones and I was just being present during the commute. And it was really, really fascinating just standing there and watching people on their phones, almost having an objective point of view of, wow, this is there's so much going on. But at the same time, when you're actually quiet and when you're actually silent and you're fully present, it's such a different experience. Exactly. And that's how we heal, that we need to be in the present moment. That's when healing, renewal, repair, and the body changes is only in the present moment. So that's why we struggle with some of these other um, like eating regimens or exercise regimens and stuff is because we're not handling the psychological and the mind stuff that needs to happen with it. It's wellness, which means all pillars of health, not just zooming in on food or just zooming in on exercise. We got to talk about the whole person. Talking about the whole person and wellness is so important. Let's say we look at the fitness community, it's macros, micros, it's training three times a day. Um, it's all of that kind of very compartmentalized way of looking at wellness, why do you think it's not discussed as much in the fitness community? Well, just because it's just the, it's a classical physics approach. We have been looking at the body for so long now as a machine and looking at it mechanical and separating its parts. It makes things seem um, easier to grasp, yet it's incredibly misleading and out of context. Um, I think we're slowly starting to see in the fitness industry and other allied health professionals that people are starting to talk more on a wellness space instead of just food, instead of just exercise. They're trying to add in those combinations. But you have to understand is that we've only been really diving into this in research in the last few decades. So it's just new. It's just a fresher understanding in the Western world. And that's really where most of the, the fitness stuff and the nutrition stuff for fitness professionals is coming from. So it's just par for the course. Speaking of fitness professional, I mean, that's how I kind of met you. I went to a fitness professionals seminar, the AFC. I'd love to go into your world. What does your morning routine kind of look like when you wake up? Yeah, you know, my days are, are can vary depending on what's happening for me, but I always start with a morning routine. So I do breath work. I do... Um, uh, a meditation, seated meditation. I also do uh, practice a lot of yoga. Um, so I have different things. I have a journal. I, grat I have a gratitude list. So I have different practices that I do. But one of the key things is that when I wake up is the first thing I'm going to do is some breath work. I do some different types of meditations um, and they'll vary because it's always good to target ourselves in different ways so that you're not getting monotonous. But there's always moments where I just take from myself first and I don't get up unless I'm in the space of appreciation, in gratitude, and I feel calm. And that's one thing that took me quite some time to learn. But at the same time, it changes my days. My days go by so smoothly now. I mean, not that I don't have challenges, but I can bounce back from them a lot quicker. I don't, I'm not as reactive. My anxiety is completely gone. So I'm able to really manage myself and have some incredible life experiences. And I tie it back to having that moment to be really slow in the morning, 
breath work, meditation, possibly some yoga. And then of course I also eat quite well in the morning. Not that I don't eat well at other points, but I make a really attentive, nourishing, slow meal in the morning. So I'm not, you know, rushing in. What can you share in terms of creating better sleep hygiene or creating a, a, a safer space for you to rest and recover in, in, in your bedroom? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's taking away some of the stimulus of, you know, people watching YouTube videos right before they close their eyes. So it makes it a little difficult because that stimulus, even though it may not be something like scary or anything, it's still an overstimulation for the brain. So I would recommend, you know, pulling away from any form of media, you know, a few hours before you're going to bed. Um, maybe you take an Epsom salt bath. Maybe you do do a different form of a body point meditation where you just kind of decompress. Um, maybe you do run through a gratitude list. Um, whatever it is, it's just going to get you to kind of settle into your day. Um, and one thing I do before I even go into my bedroom is I'm a big fan of like post-it notes, you know, like taking little sticky notes. And what I'll do is I'll write down the top five things that need to happen the next day so that I don't have to think about them when I go into bed. Because, you know, you go into bed, you're like, oh, I got to do this. And then you wake up going, oh my God, I can't forget to do this. I've already went, what's happening tomorrow? And it's very quick. It happens in under 30 seconds. And I just write down the top five things because then it comes off my brain. I can actually relax. I don't need to think about it because it's written down. I'm not going to forget. I look at it. I keep it in my kitchen. When I come into the kitchen, I look at it and want to go, okay, that's what needs to happen today. And that allows me to kind of decompress is don't bring your, your day or tomorrow into your nighttime. It's so important to just allow that, allow yourself to rest. And we don't necessarily give ourselves permission in this world that we live in right now to slow down. And I'm inviting you to do that because that's how you heal. It's also how you lose weight. It's how you rebalance hormones. It's when you can actually get recovering sleep. For me, I've started transcendental meditation and it's really, really helped a lot. And I try to do it twice a day. But the problem that I have with meditation sometimes is when I start trying to quiet my mind down and I can almost hear thoughts of tasks, important tasks that I need to do for the next day. And what I tend to do is, oh, could I break out of it and I'll, I'll reach for the notepad and, and write it. So that, that kind of makes the meditation process not very effective. So what, what can you share? Do you just kind of break that chain of thought and forget all about it? Or do you actually kind of break out and, all right, I need to write this down somewhere? You know what? It really does depend. So I can say for the most part, I choose, I do usually try before meditation to clear my mind of as many things if I need to. So I will write my list before I go to meditate so that it's not on. So I at least got that stuff out. But you know, like when I was writing my book, yeah, I would have stuff because when you decompress and go into a meditative state, it's also where inspiration comes. And I would have to break out of my meditation because there was stuff that would come in and I'd say, Oh, I'll remember it later. And I wouldn't. So, it just depends on where you think its importance is um, because I was just in a project that was just I was really passionate about. Um, but for the most part, everyday things, I'll let it slide um, and I'll try to at least clear my brain before I settle in. I believe that if it's important enough, it will resurface at some right. point of the day. I want to go into um, what we, we chatted about earlier about mind body physiology. I, I find that really, really fascinating. And that's kind of where you're at in terms of your research. What is mind body physiology and how does it relate to wellness? 
Yeah, you know, so what we're what we've known for 5000 years in Eastern teachings, so Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, is that everything about the body is connected, that the mind and body are connected. And it hasn't been until we started studying through a discipline called psychoneuroimmunology, which is another way for of saying mind body physiology, is that we're learning that what's happening in our mind happens in our body. What happens in our body impacts our mind and it's kind of this cycle and that's how we're learning that our thoughts our consciousness our mind are running the show and is actually creating our physiology so for every thought that you have it creates specific chemicals that are called neuropeptides that go down to your body and attach to the cells of your body, your physical body, that allow you to then feel what you're thinking, right? So when you get excited and everything, your body gets excited. You get a little warm, you may get a little sweaty, you get a little red-faced, right? So anytime that you have some type of thought, there's going to be a physical response. So your everyday thoughts that you have, by the way, we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day, with 95% of them the same theme as yesterday. So we're kind of, you know, a little repetitious. And so what we're doing is we're creating the same chemistry, physical chemistry through our thought patterns. And that's what either creates health or creates disease. So if our thought patterns are ones of appreciation, gratitude, excitement, playfulness, We're going to create emotions or neuropeptides that chemically come down to our body to have us feel healthy, to have us feel energetic flow, to have us feel what's called coherency inside the body, our rhythm. We're healthy. Our gene expression is like, woohoo, we're healthy. But if you wake up every day and you see the dark side, you're always looking at like, well, you know, the one thing that isn't working out and you're just negative. You complain a lot. You're just sad. You, you eat in shame that releases specific neuropeptides and they've now isolated each one. So we know what they are that come down to your body and your body feels sad. It feels grief. It feels shame. And that creates a particular physiology and that changes our gene expression. And that's how we start to feel physical symptoms of illness. It's all great if we're feeling grateful, feeling optimistic. But I mean, in the world that we live in, it's doom and gloom. Uh, I personally at times have a lot of internal chatter. For someone who's potentially in a depressive state, how would they kind of catch themselves and really if their 95% of their thoughts are always negative, how can they get out of that mindset? What's the first thing that they can do to really shake themselves out and really start moving into a more kind of a positive direction? Yeah, um, that's a great question. But also understand just as a side note that it's okay to feel sadness and grief and doubt and fear. It's just that when we live in it, when we unpack ourselves and live in that on a daily basis, that that's when we get concerned. But we're designed to feel every emotion across the spectrum. So there's no bad emotion. It's just how long we hang out in that emotion that determines health or illness. Now, because someone who just gets into that rut where they kind of only see the doom and gloom, um, the first thing is, is that it's starting just to shift what they see. So here's the thing. We take in 400 billion bits of information every single second, billion, billion, billion bits, but only 2000, 2000, which is like a little 
minuscule amount gets into our awareness. We choose what we want to place our attention on. We choose what those 2000 bits are. So what I would say is somebody who is constantly in that doom and gloom is looking for doom and gloom because you only take in 2000 bits. And there are some very struggling and disturbing and, and heart wrenching things that are happening in our world right now. But there's also some amazing good people out there that are choosing kindness and are making some good choices. So we get to choose where we place our attention. So my first suggestion would be is to start writing every day a gratitude list, what you're grateful for. But you can't just write it down intellectually. You got to feel it and, and go a little bit deeper than I'm grateful for my running sneakers. You know, say that I'm grateful for my running sneakers because I was just able to run this 5K that I've always wanted to. I feel amazing about it. My body feels light and I feel a boost in confidence. You see the difference is really look around because there's so much that we can be grateful for, even in times that are challenging. And it's about keep putting that in. And that's one little thing that you can do each day that will start to shift what you see or choose to see each day. I love it. I, I mean, I write a gratitude journal as well. At times it becomes an intellectual process because I've got this thing called the five minute journal and what are three things you're grateful for? And I find that sometimes I over-intellectualize it while well, I'm grateful for this coffee, but I don't actually feel it. So for someone that's potentially in that rut and, and how can they just get themselves out of that mindset and really feel deep gratitude for what they have around them? Yeah, you know, it's going to be challenging at first because it's unfamiliar to them. And the thing is, is that we have lost ourselves in our intellect and we hide ourselves from truly feeling what we're feeling. So, you know, when we get into those spaces where we catch ourselves complaining, we need to interrupt it. And when we so that's about living consciously or being more aware as we need to interrupt when those specific times are happening. And at that moment in the beginning, it's not even about necessarily finding too many things to appreciate in the moment. Sometimes it's just interrupting it. I rather you interrupt a complaining and give me five squats, interrupt a complaining and give me five pushups, anything that's going to interrupt that firing of that you're so habitually used to doing. Back to the mind body physiology um, aspect, how does that actually translate to our physicality of illness, chronic disease and inflammation? Well, because it starts in our mind. Illnesses start in our energetic space. They start in our mind. So when something comes out as a physical illness, it already went through our thought patterns, our belief systems. It already went through our energetic being and then manifests finally as a physical symptom. So we get little flags when we're not feeling well, we just ignore them, right? Or we go, oh yeah, so I'm congested. Oh, so I'm constipated. Oh, I have acid reflux. All right, so you know, I'm not sleeping really well. And we just brush it off. But those little hints is your body going like, hey, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. And then when you're not listening, they, those symptoms get louder and louder. And then finally, at some point, it goes from a physical symptom to a more, you know, a functional change in your physiology to an actual disease state if you ignore it long enough. But there's always signals that something's not right. That's part of that awareness 
of listening to your body, listening to your thought patterns and belief systems, connecting to how you feel so that you know when you need to maybe kind of make a right turn or change your path of how you're living. Where I'm at, like I find that with the whole mind-body physiology um, aspect, I'm starting to go a little bit deeper and explore the chakra system. And I find that really, really fascinating because once I explored the chakra system and I realized that it really makes so much sense. So in terms of the chakra system, for those that do not know what that is, could you just kind of run us through what the chakra system is and how does it impact our emotions and our thought processes as well? Yeah, so the chakras are definitely um, super fun to explore. And it's a way for us to understand that we're really an energetic being first, and then we have a physical body. And it does at first seem a little woo-woo, but what's great now is that we now have a scientific technology that allows us to measure our energetic fields and then also be able to connect this back to consciousness through the art of quantum physics. So it does have a little woo-woo to it, but it really is embedded in some science. And the more that we keep studying it, the more we're able to clarify. So the chakras are vortexes or centers of energy inside your body that run up and down your spine, and they all vibrate at a particular energetic frequency. And that energetic frequency is a reflection of particular uh, physical body organs. It is a reflection of a different level of consciousness, so thought processes, and there's also emotions and mindsets that are tied to each of these energy centers. Um, because everything comes back to energy, even though we like to look in our five senses and see everything in a physicality, we're really just a whole lot of energy that's condensed and vibrating at the same level. That's why we can see each other and so on. So when we start to look at these chakras, we can say, okay, what's happening for me and what parts of my physical body are being influenced and what part of my mindset is really asking for my attention? Um, what part of my awareness or consciousness is asking for me to evolve a little? Because here's the thing, we're here to evolve as beings, we're here to go through different life lessons and, and advance who we are. We're not here just to have nine to five jobs and pay our mortgage and maybe pray for a two week vacation. We're here to make stuff happen and to really live an expansive life. So when we look at ourselves energetically, it's just another way to connect dots. I love it because it allowed me to connect my mindset with my emotions, with some of the physical symptoms I was feeling when I was sick, to learn how I can balance them. And then learning how we eat, how we exercise, um, and how we live our lifestyle all impacts and can help us heal all the way at that energetic level because that's where healing is. Counting calories and stuff doesn't last long. So where chakras are concerned, how would someone know if a specific chakra is balanced or unbalanced? There are ways to kind of look at it, and but you have to understand that the body works in a holistic fashion. So when one is kind of struggling, there are others struggling too, just as with our physiological systems. When one is not working up to par, the others are, there. some are working harder, some are not, you know, so it's always a holistic space, but you can recognize by looking at all the different aspects of, of the chakras to understand which one is more dominant in asking for your attention right now. But it doesn't mean that none of the others are 
need some love too. Cause if you touch one, you touch all of them. It's the same thing. When you do anything with the body, you start to heal one aspect of you. The other parts will start to heal as well too. So it's more of like learning about the chakras, what they stand for, which each one represents and, and kind of resonating with you, which one is you're like, Oh, that's so me. Like you just start to, you know, go, Oh my goodness. You're checking off the boxes. Like, yup, that's me. Yup. That's me. Yup. That's me. And then that's a great starting point for you to, to begin healing. Let's probably focus on maybe the different chakras and what they represent, because I find that really fascinating. So I know that I think the seven chakras, is that correct? There's seven main, there's seven main ones. And, you know, so, you know, we start off with our root chakra, which is one of the, the main chakras that is our lowest one that allows us slowest vibration. It's what is survival based. It is what allows us to feel, feel safe in this world and also sense of belonging. Um, it's also the, the level of consciousness that's a little bit more animalistic than us using our most higher brain. So we end up acting very impulsively, a little bit more like in competition. There's a lot of us versus them kind of thing going on. Um, it's also where we have our main struggles with weight because when we are struggling with our root chakra, what, and we don't feel safe, we don't feel like a sense of belonging to something bigger, is we actually put on more mass because it slows our vibration and grounds us to Mother Earth. And that helps us to feel grounded and centered. So there's connections as to why people physically may feel, say, and have weight struggles that go deeper into the consciousness as of us having a conversation of like, say, survival-based way of living or a sense of belonging or needing to be, you know, in control. There's fear there for some reason for their safety. For example, root chakra being low vibration and you shared earlier animal-based foods is considered low vibration. So does that fuel the root chakra in that sense? It definitely um, impacts it. I don't know if I would use the word oh, feels, but here's impacts, the thing. Yeah. yeah, because when you eat more animal, you will automatically slow your vibration. So many people can relate to this, whether they're eating animal now or did in the past as kids, is that that cheeseburger, when you ate that cheeseburger, you just felt this sense of comfort and this just like, okay, I feel better. And the reason for that is because you're taking in an animal that's also of a very slow vibration and it impacts you on that root chakra level. So you get a temporary feeling of feeling centered and grounded. It doesn't last. It's the same reason why we like sweets. So the sweet flavor is also about having us feeling centered and grounded. And so when people like binge eat cookies and cake and they can't, you know, like oh, I have this crazy sweet tooth is because they're trying to find some control. So they're trying to find some type of routine in their life. They're trying to find some safety and, you know, and their life is very on the go and, and kind of in a way, a little chaotic. It's not as peaceful as they want it to be. So when we take in that sweet flavor, just as we're eating animal, it draws the energy to our root chakra. And we temporarily in that moment will feel a sense of peace. So let's say if the root chakra is overactive, so does that mean that we need to work on a different chakra to kind of balance things out? 
Well, it's never just one. We can kind of try to um, loosen up why it's so overactive. Um, so maybe shifting from taking in so much animal to eating a more plant-based diet, but one that has a little bit more of a heavier, um, you know, protein, uh, plant-based sources, not eating uh, concentrated proteins, but taking in things like tempeh and lentils and beans and peas. So pulling in some of the different food sources that we know energetically help the root chakra but don't make it go excessive i know that each chakra has a different color so do the colors of food relate to the chakras they do because color is just an energetic frequency and we are full of all different energetic frequencies that then stimulate our physical organs so the root chakra is red so when we eat like tomatoes and strawberries that is also another way to help the healing process or to draw some positive energy to our root chakra um, but and that's also why each one has a different color and you'll hear things like eat a rainbow diet so you eat a rainbow diet because yes, inside those colors scientifically are those phytonutrients. So those nutrients that are found in plant-based foods that are immune boosting and they fight cancer and, and protect us from heart disease, but also because they penetrate and impact our energy centers, our chakras on a deeper level. So that's why it's always recommended for your dishes to be as colorful as possible very very fascinating so i guess maybe what we could do is also you mentioned the root chakra if we rise up maybe you could give a like a just a snippet of what each chakra represents yeah so you know so the root chakra is safety and survival okay the sacral chakra is more about emotional integrity and control and kind of like going with the flow of life um, our solar plexus is more about our self-esteem and being able to take actions that are in our best interest. Um, our heart chakra is about love. And that is like the middle ground of our chakra system where the lower chakras that I just mentioned are more physical. And once we hit the heart and we start to come up, things become a little bit more intangible and it becomes more about our mind and, and our spirituality. Um, then there's our throat chakra, which is about our authenticity or expressing our true self to the world, speaking out and expressing who we really are and giving ourselves permission to do so. You know, we have been, a lot of us, have been programmed to be silenced, you know, as kids, or perhaps, you know, put in our place or not, or kind of shamed for being our authentic self. So the throat chakra plays a role in many people's challenges in life. Um, then of course we have our third eye chakra, which is about our intuition and our intellect. It's where our imagination is, our creativity is, but it's also our ability to, you know, take in memories and have cognitive function. Um, and then our crown chakra is a space that I like to say connects us really to the universal consciousness that connects us to the quantum field. And that's where we have this level of openness to doing things differently and openness to seeing a more expansive view about life. Um, because our consciousness, so our awareness and our mind connects to the bigger universal consciousness or the quantum field, if you want to use a science term. But there is a larger all-knowing awareness that we interact with all the time. And when we get into a space where we're open to play in this energetic field, 
It makes it easier for us to find different ways to heal. And it also makes it super fun. I guess it's just about feeling that energy all the way through from the earth all the way up to the heavens in that sense. Exactly. I guess practical steps here for someone that's listening right now. You've talked about Ayurveda, you've talked about chakra, epigenetics. We went all across the board, but what is the first steps for someone who wants to heal and thrive in their own body? Uh, the first thing that I would always recommend someone to do is to start that morning routine and to start with that morning meditation. We need to slow down and calm our fear centers and get the energy flowing in our body. So I would say meditation and even a little bit of restorative yoga would be a fantastic space for someone to start, um, as well as starting to kind of make some shifts in their food um, and start to become aware of their thoughts. There's so many different things to pull in. It's not just one answer because everyone has different challenges. Um, so that's why when I work with clients, it becomes about creating an entire holistic lifestyle because we can't just zoom in on one thing. But I would say that meditation is key to how you start your day and also to how you fall asleep and repair at night. Starting to learn to eat um, a more plant-based diet is certainly a great way to go, um, but whole foods is important. So what happens sometimes when people transition or they start to add more plant foods, they get a lot of like processed and packaged uh, plant food. And that kind of concerns me because there's just a lot of processing and it doesn't have the same impact. So whole foods, like go to the farmer's market, start to, you know, there's thousands and thousands of recipes online um, and start to play around with different foods. Make your dishes as colorful as possible, which means eating more plant-based. Just to wrap up, uh, a final question. And this is something that I ask all the people that I speak to, what does being awake mean to you? Being awake to me is about being exactly where you are. So it's about being present. It's about fully giving your attention to wherever you are or with whoever you are. And that's a gift. And um, it has changed so many interactions that I have had with people by literally just coming into my skin, recognizing where I am and really just 100% fully being there. Um, so when I, when I think of being awake, I think of being 100% exactly in the moment that I'm in. Well, that's awesome, Terry. I think that's something that I need to try to do myself because my mind runs a thousand miles an hour, even when I'm meditating. And I think it's really comes down to just being present and being grateful and just being in awe of, of the world that's around us. Exactly, exactly. There's so much amazing stuff happening right in every moment that you're in. Try to take more of that in. And the mind does start to calm over time. Thank you very much, Terry. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed my chat with Terry, and I hope you did too. Do check out her book, The Hidden Messages in Food. I highly recommend it. Thank you for tuning in once again. I appreciate you taking the time out to listen to our chat, and it really means a lot to me. If you think anyone can benefit from this information or the work that Terry does, do share it with them. For more information, any links or resources mentioned in this episode, or to find out how to connect with Terry, visit awakemethod.com podcast. Until next time, live once, eat plants. See you on the next episode. Bye.